This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. You may be wondering if we've been getting a little sluggish here at the podcast since our last episode was over a month ago. But let me assure you that the future of this podcast is strong. (laughs) We've had some delays recently because I'm running our weekly Curious Minnesota column and I took a brief vacation and worked on a complex story we'll be talking about on a future episode. But now I've got several episodes recorded with others in the works, so I'm hoping we can really amp up this podcast schedule in the near future. So get ready for that. One other announcement before we kick things off. Curious Minnesota Day at the Star Tribune building at the State Fair is Saturday, August 28th. And we've got lots of interesting things planned. If you drop by the Star Tribune building, I'll be there soliciting reader questions to then post on a large homemade billboard for people to vote on their favorite questions. So we'll want people to be asking questions. And then people who do ask questions, we will be recording some of them for a future episode of this podcast. And you may have an opportunity opportunity to vote on those questions via the podcast. So drop by, we'll be having a good time, and we would love to see you there. Okay, let's get to the show. Today is the third time we're talking with healthcare reporters Jeremy Olson and Glenn Howitt, who've been following COVID since the beginning of the pandemic for the Star Tribune. The Delta variant has raised lots of new questions, and we solicited a bunch of those questions from our readers so we can answer them on today's show. So without further ado, let's get to Jeremy and Glenn. Well, Jeremy and Glenn, thanks so much for joining us again. You are the most frequent guests on the Curious Minnesota podcast. It seems like every time we meet is some new milestone in this pandemic. There was a time where I think last time we were talking, we were waiting for vaccines to come out and we thought maybe Labor Day was going to be the time where we return to the office. Well, the vaccine is out. Labor Day is here. There's like tumbleweeds still going through our newsroom. These are metaphorical tumbleweeds, of course, but we're in this netherworld now where we have a vaccine, but we also have the Delta variant. So that's what we want to talk about a little bit today. So what is the Delta variant? I don't know what a variant is. Tell me a little bit about it. What do I need to know? Well, the Delta variant is a form of the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus that causes COVID-19. All viruses mutate, they change. That's part of their life cycle. But occasionally a variant results in more infections or more illness. And that's what we have with the Delta variant. Just like the Alpha variant earlier this spring, the Delta variant appears to spread faster and among more people. There is some debate about whether it results in more illness, but it's basically a very fast-spreading form of the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus. So we collected questions from readers online, and we have a lot of great specific questions that you all have researched. I want to start with a sort of a broad question, which is that I'm vaccinated. We're in this post-vaccine availability world, and obviously not everyone's vaccinated, but we know that people who are vaccinated can get COVID, and we know that people getting COVID leads to mutations and variants like Delta. So should we be completely hopeless about the future or is there some reason for optimism about sort of a path out of this pandemic? Because I I feel like the latest news has been making me feel more depressed than usual. So help me understand. Well, it's always best to stay in the present and we don't know what the future is going to hold. But the best way to protect yourself and to protect the population is for people to get vaccinated. That's how we're going to put an end to this thing. And it's not just in the U.S., but in many other countries, which so far have received very few vaccines, because this is a global pandemic. It's also important to remember that 
Although we do hear of some high-profile people getting infected after they've been vaccinated, that's really not very common. And the national data and the state data show that it's far less than 1%. And then even if you do get infected, you're less likely to get severe illness, meaning you need to go to the hospital, and you're less likely to die. Okay. But the downside is you can still infect somebody else. Mm -hmm. Basically, if we had much more widespread vaccination both here and around the globe, the idea that these variants would be happening, it would be much less accelerated than it is today, in other words. And maybe we could sort of get ahead of them, in other words. Basically, yeah. The virus is always mutating and it builds up in your body and then you pass it on to somebody else. But some of them stick and a lot of them don't stick. I mean, there's lots of variants that they found that we don't hear anything about because they're not causing a problem. Okay. So getting to our reader questions, and there are many of them, so we are going to jump right into it. The first question, which is actually two questions we're going to sort of combine, but it's really, how do we keep children safe from COVID? So they're not eligible right now to get a vaccine. Some of them are going back to school. Should they be masking, like at school slash daycare? And I guess my question is like, are we going to get vaccines available for children anytime soon, but jump in wherever on that question. Well, what we know is that there's only one vaccine approved for children 12 and older and then two other vaccines for 18 and older. So children 11 and younger aren't eligible for the vaccine for now. That could change, although the timetable gets pushed back a little as the manufacturers continue to do safety studies. Masks work and worn masks work better than unworn masks, but we're seeing more research about proper fit and you really need to have a mask in place covering your nose and mouth to reduce your chance of spreading the virus to others or receiving enough virus in your mouth and nose to make you sick. It's, it's tough with children to and under who aren't recommended to wear a mask because you can't expect squirming children to keep masks firmly in place enough to be protective. So when you're talking about the smallest children, surrounding them with protection is really your best strategy. The adults around them should be vaccinated, wearing masks in high-risk transmission places. When you surround the children with the best protection possible, that's what the best thing you can do for them. I'm going to add on to this, but early on in the pandemic, I feel like there was sort of this theme that children were less inclined to get at least bad cases of COVID. Is that still true in this current reality? The rate of severe illness hospitalization and death among children is substantially lower. In Minnesota, there are only nine deaths under the age of 25, and we only have 73 total deaths under the age of 40. But part of the concern is that children also are the vectors. They move around, they see a lot of people, and they can take the virus, even if they don't get very sick from it, and spread it to others who are more vulnerable. So we have a question here from someone saying, you know, I've had COVID, and I trust that the antibodies will do their job, and I have not received the vaccine, this person says. So what about people like this person who've had COVID and when they are exposed to Delta, the Delta variant, do these antibodies, or how much are they going to protect this person from that Delta variant? Well, there could be some protection, but research has shown that the immunity you develop from infection, which is often called natural immunity, is actually less than the immunity you get from the vaccines that are currently being used. So while you may get sick, you know, you probably won't get as sick, but there's still a risk there. Furthermore, if there are different mutations, you could have antibodies that really don't respond at all to a new mutation, and that makes you more at risk. And what we also don't know is this concept called waning immunity, how long that natural immunity lasts. There is some presumption that it fades over a matter of months, although that's not locked in stone yet through research. 
Point being, though, that if you were sick earlier, there may be some weakening of your immune system in response to the virus, and the vaccine will give you a second chance at fighting it. Okay. So this person is asking, if I receive the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and I need a booster, which is something we're going to talk about in a little bit, can I get that booster from a different manufacturer? Well, the first thing is to to know what we know right now, which is that the Moderna and Pfizer two-dose vaccines, there is an indication from federal officials that boosters will be recommended for everyone starting September 20th. This because there's been some data showing that the vaccine also wanes over time. We don't know anything about the Johnson & Johnson, the single-dose vaccine, and whether a second booster dose will be authorized yet. And that's because the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was approved later. And so the ongoing studies to monitor its effectiveness, they're still ongoing. They're they're just running a little behind. And so we don't know yet whether a Johnson & Johnson booster would be necessary. It's likely the Johnson & Johnson in early studies showed some lesser effectiveness at preventing infection than the other two. So it stands to reason to think that there would be a booster for Johnson & Johnson recipients, but we have no proof yet. So the word herd immunity has been sort of popped around during the pandemic in different contexts. And here we are again. This person wants to know, how do we reach herd immunity and what, if anything, will reach it? Typically, when we talk about herd immunity in the past, we're talking about a level of population that has immunity to prevent epidemic or pandemic. This time, we're trying to work ourselves out of it. So nobody really knows what the number would be. And the other thing is you have to consider geography here. So if we have 80, even 95 percent of Minnesotans vaccinated, there's still going to be pockets of the state that are lower than that and some that are higher than that. And so that presents an opportunity for the virus to continue to spread. And to a certain extent, we're seeing that in Minnesota right now. Some areas are like 45, 50 Mm -hmm. percent. There was some discussion early on a goal by the state to reach 80% with a presumption that that would result in some level of herd immunity, snuffing out the virus, giving it too few places to go. Unfortunately, Dr. Poland with Mayor Clinic gave some rather pessimistic news the other day saying he thinks with the variant and its high transmissibility that even 95% coverage may not be enough and that we might be going from a situation where herd immunity was possible to a situation where the SARS-CoV-2 virus like seasonal influenza is just something we're going to live with over time. Okay, which maybe leads us to our next question here, which is, is there a threshold where vaccine mandates will be removed or will we be living with them forever? Well, there there is no statewide or federal mandate for vaccine right now. There are in some universities, some individual businesses and governments. But it's important to remember that vaccine mandates aren't uncommon. As children, we receive all kinds of vaccines for tetanus, for, for mumps, for measles, rubella. And so it's, it's just an open question whether SARS-CoV-2 is going to join that family and we're going to be receiving vaccines against that into the future or whether it's going to go away. I have this vision in my head of going to my local CVS where I normally get my flu shot. And now I'm getting two shots in October and it's like the flu shot and then the latest edition of the COVID shot. Do people feel like that's a likely scenario or is that kind of not really what we're talking about? Well, it's too soon yet to know whether it's likely, but it's certainly possible. As time goes by and we learn more about this virus and more studies are done, and there's tons of studies being done, those recommendations will keep shifting. And that's what we saw very recently. A short time ago, U.S. government officials were saying, "Eh, not, not yet for the third 
dose. But now they say, well, based on some new research, especially out of Israel, a Mayo Clinic study, that we probably should be doing this. So the process is underway for getting the booster. So a big topic lately is so-called breakthrough cases, right, which are people getting COVID who are vaccinated. And so one person wanted to know, how is Minnesota tracking breakthrough cases? And I suppose I would just add on, what statistics do we know about them? Well, they track a lot of stuff in several different databases. They have a case tracking system. It's called REDCap. And with every new positive case, they open a file on a person and they collect information. They also have a database of all the shots given in the state, the childhood shots, tetanus shot, flu shot, and these COVID shots. And then every day they get new reports of positive cases. So what they do is they look at all that data and say, okay, who among our fully vaccinated people got sick two weeks after the last recommended dose. And that's how they come up with a number. So it's like, I think, 7,800 cases right now, which is 0.24 of the fully vaccinated. Percent. Yeah. And and among those breakthrough cases, I mean, is it pretty much that these are not, for the most part, hospitalization? Inclusive in those numbers, there are 584 hospitalizations and there are 60 COVID deaths, a rate of 0.002% of all fully vaccinated Minnesotans. So it is a very low rate. And the, the hospitalizations include about half of them are people who went into the hospital for other things, surgeries or other medical procedures, and they're routinely screened there and discover, voila, they, they have an infection. So the, the rate of hospitalizations, you know, there's 584 of them, but about half of them were asymptomatic or mild enough that they didn't even know until they went to the hospital for other things. Okay. This next question is something I think that's front of mind for a lot of people. You know, we were all kind of jubilant in June and when we were all getting vaccinated, that life would return to normal and people made a lot of plans. And so this person is asking about they have a celebration of life planned for someone who died of COVID and the celebration of life is in late August of this year. They anticipate 100 people coming to a park shelter. Are such gatherings safe given the surge they want to know? And I would just note that the state fair is coming up soon and this is a big topic in relation to that as well. So what can we say about these events that are starting to reemerge in today's context? Well, it is true that outdoor transmission risk is substantially lower than indoor risk, but it doesn't go away entirely. And the Minnesota Department of Health has actually recorded an increase in July in large group events in which there were outbreaks, outbreaks being defined as three unrelated people at the same event having uh, infections. There were 13 festivals in July or fairs where such outbreaks were found, eight weddings and one funeral. So it is a risk, but there's always things you can do to lower the risk. I mean, there's risks everywhere with everything, but in that context, out doors is better. If it's possible, you can social distance and you can have people wear masks. There are things you can do to make even those low risks get lower. Well, Jeremy and Glenn, thank you so much. Maybe when the pandemic ends, we will have to close this out with a, wow, let's talk about that for a second. But this has been very helpful to fill us in on all this detail. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you. And actually, the thing about epidemiology is when a pandemic is over, they do a lot of research and they look back at everything. And we're going to find out a lot of things once this is all over that we don't know now. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, we'll th- then we'll definitely have to have a fourth, uh, fourth edition. So stay tuned, listeners. They will be back. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
All right, folks, that's it for today's show. Please stay tuned in the coming weeks for several great episodes that are now in the works. And as always, we'd love to hear your feedback about the show, as well as any questions you'd like us to answer here at Curious Minnesota. Send those to me at curious at startribune.com. And bonus points if you send us a recording of yourself. We'd love to play that on a future episode. Don't forget to tell your friends that they too should tune into this podcast. Perhaps they should listen to a bunch of them at once on their next road trip or something. Uh, just an idea. (laughs) Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.